It's Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how the invention of photography changed the world in unintended ways. Plus, an American man whose prostate cancer caused him to speak with an Irish accent. And stick around to the end for a very important announcement about the podcast. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. We as humans have used visual art to relay events for millennia. Portraits were used to mark the legacy of leaders and the wealthy. But we didn't have photography, a realistic visual documentation of actual life, until the second quarter of the 19th century. And in an intriguing piece for the Saturday Evening Post last summer, historian Jeff Nilsson argues that photography completely rocked the world in ways it never imagined. He writes, quote, They weren't trying to change the world, the handful of men who invented photography. They only wanted to capture images from light reflected on a solid surface. But within a few years, their experimenting turned into a social force that was embraced by the public. Other technology influences, the telephone, the automobile, the internet, took decades before they were in use everywhere. But photography enjoyed nearly instant acceptance. Louis Daguerre introduced his daguerreotype process of photography in 1839. Within a decade, almost every city in America had a daguerreotype studio, and traveling photographers in their darkroom wagons were photographing settlers and Native Americans on the frontier. And just a few years later, photography was shaping the destiny of the American people. End quote. Nilsson's concentration is in American history, but you can apply a lot of these takeaways to many other parts of the globe as well. And one of the more frequently cited examples that he gives is how photography created compassion in new ways by showing the horrors of war and poverty. By the time that the Civil War broke out, photography had generated enough practitioners and enough legitimacy as a documentation of reality that the many photos taken on battlefields highlighted to the public for the first time in a new way the horrors of war. As Nelson put it, quote, For generations, war was presented as a noble, romantic venture in which young men proved their courage and gained lasting fame. End quote. But seeing the mangled bodies of those heroes piled up on top of one another woke many people up to the reality of war. Likewise, photographers went into factories and tenement buildings to show the world the appalling work and living conditions that so many in society, including so many children, were being subjected to. Used strategically by reformers and published in magazines, these photos helped ignite the labor reform movement. As much as photography was used to shine a light on too often unseen realities, it was also used to sway public opinion. Now, there were outright hoaxes, of course, like the Cottingley Fairies in 1917 England when teenage girls claimed that they'd caught photos of fairies bamboozling the likes of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But there were also more subtle techniques. Nilsson points to the way photography was used to influence presidential elections, beginning with Abraham Lincoln in 1860. 
Quoting again, Lincoln had been portrayed as a crude, ignorant backwoodsman from Illinois. In a studio session with photographer Matthew Brady, Brady posed the beardless Lincoln on his feet, his hand lightly resting on a book, his expression thoughtful and commanding. His hair was combed, which wasn't usually the case in later photos, and his shirt collar pulled up to hide Lincoln's long neck. Shortly after Brady took the photo, an engraving of the image appeared in Harper's Weekly magazine, which contained the text of Lincoln's speech condemning the spread of slavery. According to witnesses, Lincoln later said, Brady and that Cooper Union speech made me president, end quote. It wasn't really creating a false narrative to portray Lincoln as stately and bookish, but that photo shoot was engineered so people would believe that side of him when many at the time still saw him as an uneducated country boy. And photography did change how people thought about their appearance. Before, you would only have ever seen yourself in a mirror, inverted, moving, never catching a glance of every side of yourself. Photographs showed you a frozen version of yourself, one which often wasn't the most representative of how people perceived you in motion in day-to-day -day life, but which you might believe was accurate, for better or worse. That had effects on how people adjusted their look, especially when they knew they were sitting for a photo, but also on how they acted out in public. As early as 1902, there was an article noting that if someone in public pulled out a box that even just looked like it might be a camera, men in the vicinity automatically sat up a little straighter and held their heads a little higher, ready for a flash should it come. And with this new realism from photography, hyper-realistic paintings weren't as necessary. This is why we started to see the schools of Impressionism, and then Expressionism, and onwards to Surrealism and Abstract Painting. It's not to say that those schools of art were widely celebrated at the time, or that realistic paintings went away entirely, but as Nilsson put it, quote, "...artists began to reappraise what they could offer. They looked beyond realism to capture their own responses to their subjects." End quote. In his words, photography liberated art. As photography changed our idea of reality, so too did it change our idea of artistic expression and the role of visual art. But it also changed how we thought about time. And more on that after a word from our sponsors. There's never a good time for your furnace or air conditioner to stop working. But we're honored that for the past 100 years, Atlas Butler customers have relied on us the night before Thanksgiving, the day before their wedding, and even Christmas morning for fast, convenient service. Your trust means everything. Call today, get it fixed today. That's our pledge to you. Atlas Butler is at your service call. Think about the photos that you've taken, or that others have taken of you and your loved ones. When you look back on those photos, you reminisce on moments from your life that you may have otherwise forgotten about. Maybe you even had that challenge of trying to figure out if some of your earliest memories from childhood are true memories at all, or simply stories that your brain has built around family photos that you were shown. Looking back on photos can show us, in stark light, how much we have physically changed and aged over the years. 
But none of those ways of interacting with the past existed before photography. How might our ancestors have thought about the passage of time in different ways? Yeah, they had oral and written records to keep memories alive, of course, but think about those smaller details that are revealed in photographs. You might remember celebrating your eighth birthday, but until you looked back at a photo of the day, did you remember a classmate who showed up for your party but moved away the next year? Or your then-favorite baseball hat that you were wearing? Your mom's big red coat hanging on the rack behind you in the photo? A drawing your little sister did pinned on the fridge? Those tiny details leave our memories over time, but photos, and now video as well, bring them back to us. And what about that passage of time? Before photos could provide you with incontrovertible truth about how your physical appearance changed as you aged, you had to rely on the offhand remarks from others. One of the most reassuring aspects of making a physical change to your body that takes time to achieve, you know, like growing out your hair or gaining muscle, hitting a growth spurt, growing a mustache, is getting to look back on photos from the start of your journey to see just how far you've come. That's a relationship to the past self that people before the 19th century and really before the later 20th never had. And Nilsson, being a historian, points to how amazing the advent of photography was from an archivist's point of view, because those tiny details, the paraphernalia in the background of a photo, provides information that was rarely recorded any other way. Quoting again, when we see old photographs from a distant year, we see what our predecessors saw. We get a richer sense of their daily lives, the objects of their households, the horsehair chair, the beloved dog up on the couch, the large woman's hat hanging in the hallway, all things they valued. Every generation has its own history, but photographs make modern generations' histories richer. End quote. So then how much more might we be leaving behind now? for future archivists to delight in. In our age of thousands of photos taken on our smartphones per person per year, I've seen jokes about how a couple of generations from now, families could pull out old photographs from, say, the early 1900s and say, yes, that's Uncle Alfred returning home from fighting on the front lines, and then turn to a photo from 2023 and say, and that's a salad that Grandpa Jerry ate for lunch one day, along with, uh, yes, 42 selfies from a day when he was feeling himself. Of course, the reality is that none of these digital photos may survive. We're entering a crisis of preservation with so much of the written and photographed record of the last couple of decades unlikely to be repeatedly converted to future file types and backed up in accessible locations, which is why it's good to A, back up your important files in multiple places and multiple formats, and B, support the work of initiatives like the Internet Archive. But more so than the idea of the peaks at life in the 2020s that we may or may not be leaving behind from our photo and video bloated society right now, I want to return to the idea of time, and also of unintended consequences. When men like Joseph Nisiphor Niepce, Louis Daguerre, Henry Fox Talbot, and John Herschel invented photography, they, again, as Nilsson put it, quote, only wanted to capture images from light reflected on a solid surface, end quote. An update to the camera obscura. They didn't realize that they were going to change the world, change the very way we perceive ourselves and each other, change our relationship to the passage of time. 
Photography is in a rare category of inventions that, from the first flash, completely altered society. Another one that I can't help but think of is social media. The way we think about ourselves, about others, and about the passage of time has changed enormously as society has become more and more inextricably tied to social media. It varies depending on how much you use it or how much of your life is followed by others on it, but it's led to phenomenons like the growing trend that any hobby has to become content or a side hustle, the fear that anything you do could end up recorded by someone and go viral online, the pernicious pressure to make your every waking moment and every facet of your appearance match the meticulously edited highlight reels of those you follow. Even if you don't feel those in the extreme, those elements are there, and I'm not sure how we make them go away. With cloud storage and social media apps, we can flip back to nearly any day of our lives and find posts, photos, and videos showing what we did, what we looked like, who we talked to. Does that create a pressure to always be improving, getting smarter, hotter, more fashionable every year so that we can post side-by-side glow-ups every December? Some of these examples will fade with time, I'm sure, but social media, whether you use it or not, has changed how we interact with the world, and it wouldn't quite be what it is if photography hadn't changed the world first. Any technology that really takes off is going to grow so far beyond the intentions of its creator. I mean, surely Louis Daguerre wouldn't have dreamt that his daguerreotypes could have influenced the outcome of elections, or led to exposés in child labor and the works of abstract expressionists. Just like 18-year-old Mark Zuckerberg trying to make a website to rank hot girls on campus didn't think he'd create a force with the potential to splinter democracy. It's so hard to know how certain innovations will impact the future. But, I guess, thanks to photography, we do have a more detailed record of the past. An American man in his 50s had a rare form of prostate cancer that caused him to develop an Irish accent. Well, that's the headline anyways, and it's not too far off from reality. So this anonymous man, who unfortunately passed away from the cancer, is the subject of a new paper published at the end of last month in the journal BMJ Case Reports. The paper explains how the cancer led him to develop foreign accent syndrome. An extremely rare syndrome, first described by a neurologist in 1907, foreign accent syndrome is normally caused by a stroke or a traumatic brain injury. There have been less than 100 reported cases since it was first described. And it's not so much that a person is actually speaking with an authentic accent from a different region from where they grew up, but rather that their manner of speaking has changed so much that it sounds like a particular accent to listeners. Quoting Science Alert, The most famous case is of a Norwegian woman in 1941 who suffered a head injury during the bombing of Oslo. A few months later, she began to speak with what sounded like a German accent. A more recent example hit the news just a few years ago as a woman from Arizona literally awoke speaking like Mary Poppins. In her case, the cause wasn't clear. 
According to a case study published in 2008, a woman in her 60s began to speak with a different, unspecified accent after her breast cancer had spread into her brain. In a similar case, an Italian woman in her 50s with a brain tumor suddenly began speaking with a different rhythm and melody. End quote. But the case of the American man who started speaking with what sounded like an Irish brogue was even more unique because he didn't have brain cancer, he had prostate cancer. So what happened? Quoting Gizmodo, The doctors speculate that the man's accent was actually caused by an underlying paraneoplastic neurological disorder, or PND, damage to the brain instigated by an immune response to cancer elsewhere in the body. The condition arose as the man's cancer transformed into small-cell neuroendocrine prostate cancer, or NEPC, an aggressive and very often fatal variant. His cancer continued to spread in spite of treatment with metastases reaching the brain, and he died as a result. Although foreign accent syndrome can clear up over time in many cases as the brain recovers from injury, the man's accent persisted until his death. End quote. It is a very sad but nonetheless fascinating story, and a decent reminder that people's speaking patterns can absolutely change over time, sometimes in ways that they can't help, whether from traumatic brain injuries that might not be visible or known to you, or due to other neurological or psychological causes. And is that reminder in part just me defending Austin Butler's ongoing Elvis accent? Maybe. Alright, so that announcement I teased at the beginning. Like Tom Brady, I'll cut right to the chase. The Cool Stuff Ride Home will be ending on Friday. This Friday, February the 10th. I'll go into more details that day, but yes, the end is nigh. We will be shuttering the Cool Stuff Ride Home at the end of the week. It's on to other frontiers for us. I'm taking time to focus more on my other writing and performance projects. I'll put a link in the show notes to a newsletter that I just started, which will give you a centralized way to keep up with what I've got going on, and we'll also host other writings and musings from me. And Ride Home Media will continue on with the tech meme Ride Home, as well as the Ride Home Fund, so you can check those out if you're not already involved with them. And of course, we've got almost 700 episodes in the back catalog that you can listen to from this show as well. Again, I will say more about everything on Friday, and I will save my sappiness for then. But for now, just know that this show has meant a lot to me. I have loved every second of it, and I don't take this ending lightly. So I'm excited to share the last two episodes with you, and hopefully you'll join me for whatever else the future has in store. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so do the many cool things to do. Come keep cool with amazing pools and the hottest nights at the coolest spots in Texas. Go to visitsanantonio.com slash summer.